Hello and welcome back to Dr. Stan and Pastor Bob thinking about it. Uh, Stan, we are going to think about something today that, uh, I don't know, we might regret getting into. Well, we have a way of wading into water that, that might go over our heads, but let's go ahead. All right, Andy Stanley. Uh, fairly recently, Andy Stanley is a cr- tremendous communicator. A lot of people are, are taught through him, discipled by him. He writes very well. Um, every once in a while he says something provocative, maybe to make a point, but in this case I think he overstated something. He said that we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. It's a, it's a bit of a, a millstone around the neck of, of Christians, progressive Christians, maybe more so. Um, it's embarrassing, uh, so let's just ignore it. And I want to, as we enter into this conversation, I think we should be reminded of what Jesus said about his relationship to the Old Testament. Starting with the words of Jesus, cannot be bad. All right, then I'll proceed. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. We can say the Old Testament. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And then you add to that the things that David said about the law, how he delighted in it. So, Stan, let's, let's talk about our relationship to the Old Testament. Does Stanley have a point? How are we to regard the, the Bible of Jesus? Well, it's a big question, but I, I do think we need to recognize that... Um, there, there, there are reasons why Andy would suggest what, what he does. And teaching, preaching, living out what we ought to live out from the Old Testament is, is not always so simple. Um, I mean, we could start with the fact that, that it is the Old Testament and there is a New Testament. And now normally... When when the apostles talk about the old covenant, they're talking specifically about the Mosaic covenant, the Mosaic law. They aren't talking about all of what we would call the Old Testament. But it is clearly true that that the Mosaic covenant, that aspect, the old covenant, is no longer the rule of life for God's people. Um, Paul talks about the end of the law in Romans 10, but... Probably more to the point in Galatians 3. He, he says, God made his redemptive promise to Abraham. And 400 years later, the Mosaic law came in alongside that. Designed to guide the covenant people until the coming of Messiah. But now that Messiah has come, and the spirit has been given, to indwell and empower us to do the timeless things that are concerned in the law. The law per se is not the covenant rule for God's people. So there is a sense in which it's, it's, it's gone. That aspect of what we call the Old Testament, that, that for sure. There are, there are strange things in the Old Testament and there are things that are that seem morally objectionable. I mean, 
aspects of Mosaic case law. For example, in Exodus 21 includes a recognizing that a slave is a slave owner's property. So if the owner beats the slave, as long as the slave doesn't die, there's no punishment. Now, I think we rightly recognize that was not designed to be moral ideal. It was designed to guide God's people in a given time. If, if the slave did die, the man was to be punished. But then we, we have God's command to exterminate whole people groups, not just warriors, but men, women, children, animals. And all of that, all of that provides fuel for the, the new atheists of our day who, who, who want to say, really? Believe the Bible, including the Old Testament? Are you kidding? So it can be an evangelistic challenge. So Stan, I, I don't know if, like, we're making this up as we go along, and if I, if I ask a question that you want to think about more, by all means do that. Uh, but what do we say to people who say, God did what? God said what? what? How, do, how do we answer that? That's well, a we need a lot That's a different time. podcast. No, it's yeah. not. Well, it probably is, but, it, but we need, need to only say something here, I think, about that. Um, it's embarrassing. We, it is. It is indeed. I think we, we need to recognize that according to Jesus' own way of reading Mosaic Law, Mosaic Law is not designed to state the moral ideal in every respect. The, uh, the specific case I have in view would be what we have in Matthew 19 and Mark 10 when Pharisees come to Jesus to test him with a question about whether it's right for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason. And as a part of the conversation, it goes back to Deuteronomy 24, where you have a recognition that men divorce their wives Mm -hmm. because they find something unpleasant Mm -hmm. about them. Mm -hmm. And the, the rabbis were often using that as justification for divorce. But Jesus says, God through Moses allowed that because of the hardness of your hearts. But it's not the way it was set up in the beginning. It's not the way it ought to be. It's not the life I'm calling you to. So it's a reminder that aspects of the Old Testament are, are God through Moses and others guiding the people of Israel in a, in a positive direction, making the best of it, as it were, dealing with the hard realities of the situation. Okay, that's, that's in case where God permits something, but in the example you yeah. gave, God is active. He does something. And are we to, are we to say that it's, it continues to be because of the hardness of men's hearts that God must act in ways that, quite frankly, are embarrassing to us who want to sanitize God? Well, if we take the genocide texts, which are probably the most, the most significant issue there, uh, number one, in... Uh, in Deuteronomy, before Israel enters the land, God makes it clear that what he's calling them to do in destroying people in the land is rooted in their evil, their wickedness. And so there's a sense in which what God is calling Israel to do is simply act as his executioners for capital crimes, sins that are that, are that bad, have accumulated to that extent. I, I think there, there's also evidence, as, as a couple of my former colleagues have pointed out in a recent book, 
that that in some of those cases the the Bible is probably using the language of hyperbole, of of intended overstatement, which was pretty common in the ancient right. Near East as a way of describing war and and its results, and and so probably there's a kind of intended and understood overstatement. It's not quite as bad as it looks. Okay, but, but it's pretty do, bad. But still, still it's still it's difficult. Yeah. Like we need to recognize that, and 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 we need to recognize with Jesus that that things have changed with the coming of Messiah and with the new covenant, with the empowering of the Spirit, and and Jesus calls his disciples to live to a higher standard than what we find in in Mosaic law, or what we call the Old Testament. So I understand why there are challenges, no doubt, for communicating the Old Testament in our day for believers, but especially for unbelievers. But the problem is, with the problem with Andy's approach is, he really ignores Jesus' attitude, which you read in Matthew 5, about the va- ongoing value mm-hmm. of what we call the Old Testament, mm-hmm. the Law and the Prophets. Paul, in Second Timothy 3, in his classic text, All Scripture is God-breathed, is talking about the Bible of his day, which was what we call the Old Testament. Right. Peter, in Second Peter 1, he talks about the Spirit guiding the prophets. It's talking about the Old Testament. So we can't just unhitch from it and let it go. It, it is the Word of God. Now, we have to... We have to think in terms of promise and fulfillment. We have to ask what parts of, of instruction there are intended to be timeless and transcultural. We have to ask right. those so, questions, but uh, we have to use it. Right. E- earlier, I think you said that it's not our rule. You said something like that, but it is, it is something. If it's not our rule, is, it, did you say it that? Is, yeah, but it, it's, it's not our rule as such. So it's, it's never as simple as saying, okay, here, here we have this command in the Old Testament. Therefore, it is still an obligation in exactly the right, same way. Right, so if way. it's not that, what is it? It's instruction that, that tells us something about God's heart, about God's values, and, and, and then we have to ask, so what is the continuing significance of that? Let me just use a quick analogy. If I had a transcript of everything my father said to me over his lifetime, we would all understand parts of what he said represented what he took to be timeless values and, and he would want me to remember and live that way forever. Parts of it would obviously be related to what I was like as a 5-year-old or a 12-year-old and we would never assume, okay, all of that transfers in a straight line from then to now. We understand that. And so... As God's people read Scripture together, it's, it's frankly not all that difficult to to understand, to discern what what pieces of it are timeless and transcultural, and, and what pieces of it are are directed mm-hmm. to uh, God's people, Israel, in a in a particular time and place. That that isn't an irreverent attitude toward the Old Testament. It's, it's reading it in terms of its intent. And parts of it were intended to be about humanity in general, timeless and transcultural. Parts of it were not. So so why would anyone hate um, the law? 
the Old Testament message, if you will. Well, some people hate it because there are just particulars of it that that cut across their lifestyle, and they don't like that. They, we probably both know some people, some believers, who seem to have a distaste for law in general because somehow it all seems opposed to grace. But it's it's so crucial to remember when when God gave through Moses, I mean the law sort of at its heart in the Ten Commandments, it all begins with grace. I'm the Lord who has redeemed you out of Egypt. I've made you my people. I've acted graciously towards you. And I'm calling you to live this way in covenant with me because this is what human flourishing is all about. Amen. About loving God with all our being and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And law just makes that more concrete and, and specific. So people who um, maybe hate the law, maybe haven't discovered the grace that is in it, they're focusing on uh, the burden and the condemnation that they see in the law, the unapproachable standard, but for whatever reason, they haven't caught the grace that is there. And I think even in the New Testament, you've got some sayings of Jesus that are pretty hard. Uh, in Matthew, yeah. he, he kind of gives a new law that is worse if you, if you want to speak that way. And uh, we would feel the same way to unhitch ourselves from the Sermon on the Mount, for crying out loud. There are plenty of people who actually want to do that. But we don't because it's the words of Jesus. And just like in the Old Testament, we read law, but we also re- read grace. And there's a way of appreciating both. Well, indeed. And, and we need to understand that God's instruction, God's laws, are, are not given to make our lives cramped, narrow, and painful. They're, they're given to describe, well, they're the manufacturer's instructions about the right way to live Amen. Uh, as, as who we are. They're the path to human flourishing. They're for our good. Well, for the good of our listeners, Stan, we're going to have to continue this next time. Uh, we are out of time, but we wanna th- I want to thank you for listening to us. And again, we invite you to send in your comments, your ideas, uh, Stan and I have lots to talk about, but maybe you've got something that you would like us to think with you about. So until then, I'm Bob McGregor. And I'm Stan Fowler. Thanks for listening. So long. Bye-bye. <laughs>